Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturgis. I'm so excited. I'm excited about three days of outreach ministry where people have received the message of the gospel of Christ that the Prince of Peace has come as celebrated in the birth of Christ in the Christmas message. The cast and crew, the New Hope guys have just hit it out of the park. They are awesome and amazing. Oh yeah, come on. We can give the Lord thanks. They're going to be back tonight, and no, it hasn't been canceled. If it should be, we'll let you know somehow. But uh, it, it looks like things are going to maybe cease and desist a little bit. So we're going to have a great, great closing night where we're going to believe that people are going to hear the gospel message of a Redeemer that came, was born in a manger, died on a cross. That uh, I, I love, a, a years ago we did a series here with a, uh, a graphic of a manger and a cross that is sort of blended. And in the manger it says uh, uh, where light was born and then the cross is where darkness died. And boy, isn't that true. But we've been celebrating that message and what a great thing it is. Now, we're in a four-week series here on Advent. Hope, peace, joy, and love. And, and if you grew up in and around liturgical church, then you know what Advent is. If you didn't, you may, well, what's the big deal? Well, it's born of church tradition. It's not in scripture per se, but church tradition sort of distilled these things that were central points of the message of Christmas. The Advent means expectation. And the arrival of Jesus Christ was, and the promises that came along with the, the birth of Christ was hope, peace, love, uh, joy, and love. I've never done a dedicated series on the topics because the hope, peace, joy, and love are all these sort of ethereal philosophical abstractions. And when we talk about it, I wish you hope. I wish you peace. I wish you joy. I wish you love. They're abstractions. And what I mean by that is they're things you can't quite nail down, right? What are all those things? If you press somebody to ask you, most most of us really can't give a substantive answer because they've been the things that everybody wonders about how to get them, what to, you know, uh, how they can be achieved. And so uh, I've really prayed coming into this series, Father, give us something sort of measurable we can sink our teeth into. And I'm excited about that. And sermon number one, you just happened to hear. I'll blame that on Dan for choosing the song that he chose. Um, but it's just such a strong message about the peace of God and what it brings. But I want you to, to get your, your, your Bibles, your phones, your pads, something to, to, to take some notes with and scratch down. There's two things that I'm going to want you to take away. But this morning as we start, I, I found the, the funniest thing. It made me laugh right out loud. And it's a, an old Charlie Brown comic strip. Uh, Charlie Brown, the, the cartoons, the comics, whatever, uh, he, he manages to span sort of every generation. If you're 75 years old, you know who Charlie Brown is. And if you're 17 or 10, you know who Charlie Brown and Snoopy uh, are. Well, there's another character in there that I really love in Lucy. Lucy is the pragmatist. Lucy has issues. Lucy holds the football for our protagonist hero, um, uh, Charlie Brown, to kick the football. And for some reason, this whack job Charlie Brown believes that she's not going to snatch the football away as he comes to kick the field goal and he's going to fall on his back. And it's the endless, uh, it's one of the ongoing themes in the Charlie Brown series. And sure enough, she says, no, I promise I won't move it this time. Charlie Brown comes through and she just can't help herself. She snatches away, he kicks in the air, he flips up and falls on the ground, and she just laughs out loud. Okay, over and over again. So Lucy has issues. But, um, uh, so here's Lucy talking to Charlie Brown one day, and she says, I hate 
everything. I hate everybody. I hate the whole wide world. And Charlie Brown says, but I thought you have had inner peace. And she said, I I do have inner peace, but I still have outer obnoxiousness. I think she just described the Christian state of existence. All of us who claim to have Christ in us, the hope of glory, Christ in us, the Prince of Peace living. And we do have inner peace, but it just doesn't make the outer obnoxiousness go away. Now, some of you even came here today and are sitting next to... Someone who may fulfill some remote aspect of your outer obnoxiousness. But do not turn and point and say, yeah, okay, don't, don't just let that go for now. Matter of fact, when you say that I have inner peace but outer obnoxiousness, just begin to create a mental list. What are those things that create my outer obnoxiousness? And although we laugh out loud about it, how many know that is a reality? That God has promised to bring us peace. But see, you start going and and searching for definitions of peace. And and it says these, again, these platitudinal things like uh, an absence of harm, uh, an absence of conflict. The presence of harmonious coexistence. But for those of, of us who may look a little more deeply into scripture, we notice that there's a God who is a God of justice and mercy. A God who is a God of righteousness, justice and mercy. A God who promises to bring righteousness and then peace. But have you ever noticed that in the history of mankind that anything that was an alleged pursuit of peace always involved seemingly some point of conflict? So can it ever be sustained? Can it really ever be realized in our life? Is it anything that can ever be achieved? And of course, philosophers will say, no, never. It's one of those things that will never be able to be sustained. But, but I really want to, in all seriousness, offer something substantive today to us. So Let's start in a couple of places, and, and uh, let's start with the Christmas story. Why are we looking at peace? So let's look at, the, at where the angels show up. Luke chapter 2, several scriptures this morning. They'll be on the screen, hopefully online, for those of you that are watching and joining. And we have a disproportionate number of those who, who uh, have been trapped by this monstrous blizzard at, uh, at home. So welcome this morning, and um, uh, online, take some notes. Here we go. Uh, in the same region, verse eight, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields. I, you know, I love, I have these sort of memorized in King James from hearing them through my childhood, the Bible stories. Uh, but in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were terribly frightened. But the angel of the Lord said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, uh, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, uh, that's in Bethlehem, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, here it comes, peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, what? No, no, that's not there. Okay. Uh, That's not what they said. The shepherds were saying, you you know, you read these in scripture and I don't know about you. I don't know one human being because you almost hear this, especially when you're reading it in King James. And they began saying to one another, here we go. Let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing, which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. That I, you know, 
I know that's in the Bible. But I can guarantee you that's not the first words that came out of their mouth. It was more like in Hebrew or Aramaic, dude, do you believe that? Okay. That, and well, when you get to heaven, ask them. You'll see that I'm right. This is what they said later. Okay, so I guess we need to go to, to Bethlehem and see what the angels were talking about. And so they uh, took off. And we read this around Christmas, you know, peace on earth and goodwill to men. But is that even a reality? Uh, that e- even the, the shepherds themselves weren't living in peace. They were dominated by Rome. The Rome was alleging this Pax Romana, you know, Roman peace. But what was peace to the Romans was domination to the Jews. And the shepherds even worse down the pecking order. Peace on earth and goodwill to men. Can peace be sustained? Um, I want to show you a, a quick clip of a video that is a matter of fact in history. You won't believe this. It is a, a little two and a half minute video <clears throat> or three minute video. But I wanted to stick it in here because of the madness of it all that I'll talk to you about in a minute. But it was, it's called the, the World War I 1914 Christmas Truth. This was early on in World War I. Uh, they said the war that would end all wars, but it did not, of course. And four years later, it would, it would be over. And, uh, but go ahead and roll that video if you can, Gabe. Pop that up there. Okay. Now, I don't know about you, but as I've reflected on that story through the years, what I found amazing, allegedly, um, uh, by history, it was the Germans that started singing the song in German. And, of course, the guys across the field in the trenches, in this never-ending trench warfare, uh, recognized the melody and began singing with them on Christmas Eve in the middle of the night as it moved towards the morning on Christmas Day. Those things actually happened. They made makeshift balls out of cans and bags of things, exchanged gifts. Just I, It's crazy, isn't it? And then the following day, they went back. At 8.30 the following morning, someone fired two shots in the air as if to say the war is back on. Now, do you get the fact that the only reason that one side recognized the other side is that they both shared a common tradition of Christian faith? Okay, I've just got to stop right there. I mean, because that alone, you go, oh my goodness. During a time of let there be peace on earth, they would share this time. And you say, is it, I mean, if there's any snapshot that would give you a, a absolutely SMH, shake my head point of reference and going, are you kidding me? It's how people can look squarely into the face of peace and choose conflict and yet do that. Okay. So back to the philosopher's things. Can it ever really happen? Okay. Enough with the philosophers. Let's see what the Bible has to say. Isaiah chapter 32, <clears throat> my probably one of my favorite passages and notice the language here verse 16 then justice will dwell and that assumes that there is a justice as recently there was appointed a supreme court justice it is not only an adjective but a noun but there is justice will prevail and will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness will abide in the fertile field i'm i'm grabbing some verses out of a pat a passage of scripture that talks about chaos and conflict that would come to God's people. But he said, here's what's going to happen uh, at the end. And the, here it comes. And the work of righteousness will be peace. Would you say those words with me? And the work of righteousness will be peace. I have to stop here and say this. 
that whether it's the book of Isaiah or in the New Testament in the book of James, it says that. Peace is an outgrowth of righteousness, so we have to ask ourselves, what is righteousness? Righteousness is the orderedness of God. In the biggest sense of the word, it's used, righteous and righteousness are used about 600 times in the Bible, uh, a little over 300 times each. And every place you read it, it is God bringing something to order. We are made the righteousness of God so that our eternity is not one of chaos, of a separation from him in hell, but an ordered existence in his presence forever in heaven. So in the biggest sense, the righteousness of God results in us at salvation of we are with him forever. Unrighteousness is massive disorder and chaos that comes. So notice that righteousness, the orderedness of God, but you got to say, well, wait, who, who gets to bring, how do we get the righteousness of God? I already mentioned it requires a justice or a judge. It goes on to say in verse uh, 17, uh, and the work of righteousness will be peace and the service of righteousness, quietness and confidence forever. There's nothing that brings that <sighs> confidence, security, and it goes on to say in secure dwellings. But glance at Psalm chapter 7, verse 11. God is a righteous judge a God who has indignation every day. We must ask the question, how do we get this righteousness? And everyone look at me. Let me just give you the baseline simple answer. God has the final word. There will be no peace in lives unless God has the final word. God has the final opinion. God is the judge on the matter. Where do we find that word? In God's word. I need a word from the Lord. Good. Open the Bible and read it. It is there. God is the final judge. Now, in Isaiah chapter 9, here comes the Christmas passage. Listen to this. Verse 6, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. This is what the angels were singing about when they said, peace on earth. Here it comes. Listen, and the government will rest on his shoulders. What does that mean? He is the ruler. Would you say out loud, he is the ruler? Okay, good. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, here it comes, the Prince of Peace, or the Ruler of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. See, that's associated with that rule and righteousness, you get peace. On the throne of David and over as a kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. So when the angels sing, peace on earth, goodwill to men, it is assuming who is bringing it and what he will do. He is the ruler. If we will allow God to have the final word, that simply put, if we will say, Lord, I want to live by your word and let you have the final word, God says, great, I can bring you to a place of peace, even though you have outer obnoxiousness all around you. Okay, well, how do we know that? What does it say to us today? Look at Colossians chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule. Here it comes. See that word again? Rule in your hearts to which you were indeed called in one body and be thankful. 
Okay? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were indeed called in one body and be thankful. This particular word used here is only used one time in the New Testament, and it's a, a, a Greek term that would describe the umpire in Roman games, competitive games. In other words, the one that said, okay, you're out of bounds, you're in bounds, you did this right, you're disqualified, you do this. No, stop, no, quit that, you can't do that. So it takes this justice idea to a little more practical level. Let me ask you, is the word of God final? Is the word of God something that you are into so that it is into you so that on a day-to-day, moment-to-moment basis, whether in word or deed, which this same passage would go on to talk about, you have that sense of a ruling God. Can I tell you? We need that umpire at work in our life. We need that rule of God at work in our life. And he calls us to be thankful. The peace of God... First of all, we get a peace that will rule. Let me, let me, let's go on from there. The second thing is we get a peace that will guard. Hang with me. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 or 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Here's another word I, I need to mention to you. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here it comes. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How many are thankful for that? Notice it says a peace that passes all understanding and it speaks about our heart and then it will finally work its way to our mind. How many know we're most often disrupted first at a heart level, an emotional level, and then it works its way to just, you know, our thinking is, dear Lord, how, how can this be happening around me? But if you were to continue to read this, uh, listen, this Philippians passage, It says the peace of God, but then it closed. It says, if you will do this, this, and this, and then it gives you about eight things to dwell on. True and goodness and anything of good report and repute. If there's anything you can give for Thanksgiving, he says, and the God of peace will be with you. You see how it's flipped around? Notice that when God says, if you want the peace of God, seek the God of peace. Well, what does that mean? I'm going to ask you again. Who has the final word? in your life. Let me give you a couple of things you need to grab. I was going to go ahead and then come back to it. If the, uh, uh, Gabe, here's the first one I'd like up there and I'd like it left long enough. I don't know. Can you see that on the screen? If the God of peace, here's, here's the synthesis. If the God of peace does not rule your heart, the peace of God will never guard your mind. I, I want to let that sink in. This is important. For all you guys that fought your way out through the blizzard this morning, I'm giving you something worth coming for, okay? Or God is. If the God of peace does not rule your heart, what does that mean? If you're not interested in him having the final word, if he doesn't rule, if he's not the the prince, the king, the ruler who governs your heart, if he's not the umpire that says, no, dude, you just went out of bounds really bad. If he doesn't have the final word, you can say, oh, I need the peace of God. Now, if the God of peace doesn't rule your heart, the peace of God, excuse me, doesn't rule your heart, the peace of God will never guard your mind. Never. You can say say amen right there. All right? Now, Romans chapter 16, verse 20. 
Here's something I love. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. I love that. You need to read all the verses before it because here, while the absolute an ultimate peace of God will only come at the end of the age when we see Jesus Christ. This particular passage of scripture, Paul is not talking about the end of the age. He was talking about the problems and the circumstances right then, right there, right now. And he says, I want you to know right then, right there, right now, that those, those adversarial things, those points of chaos and conflict that seem to be swirling around you, I want you to know that the God of peace will soon crush that stuff under his feet. Second principle, please put that up on the screen, Gage. If the God of peace does not rule your heart, the peace of God will never crush your conflict. If the God of peace does not rule your heart, the peace of God will never crush your conflict. Where, now, now, why is it important, please? Why is it important to get this when we sing this, peace on earth and goodwill to men? Well, I don't see a lot of it out there. Can I say that I don't know that God ever says until he returns, we're going to see it out there. But how can I say that? Here, glasses I never wear up here when I'm here. If the peace of God rules your heart, it becomes the lens to which I look out there to my outer obnoxiousness. Because the peace of God is ruling here. Well, God, I need you to fix some stuff out there. It's so disrupted and so chaos, and I, I just need peace to happen out there. Can, can I let you in on a secret? You can really be disenchanted right here. God never promises that until the end of the age when the lion lays down with the lamb. It's coming. We'll all get to see it. But right now, in this age, with all the groaning that's going on, he says... Listen, there's a groaning world. Stuff's going to happen until you see me face to face. But here's the good news. He breathed on them and said, receive it here. And all the stuff that happens out there, if the peace of God is ruling here, God is guarding my mind here. If the peace of God, listen to me, is ruling here, those things going on, the outer obnoxiousness, as Lucy would say, God says, I want you to know that that's peace that is working from within you and right around you, that that peace of God never travels without the God of peace. And that God of peace is soon just going to crush those things around you so that you can navigate through them. Beloved, we've got to understand that this is not philosophical platitude, that there's a peace of God inside me. I don't care about the person closest to you that may be absolutely obnoxious and may be part of your outer obnoxiousness. At the end, there's nothing you can do. By the way, this week, someone says, well, you know, I I just wish you could have done more to have them change and, and do this or do that. And I said, you need to understand God can't make people do anything. So as a person, a pastor, certainly, I learned decades ago, I can't. One of the most frustrating delusions is to think, well, I I can make so-and-so. You can't make anybody do anything. You can't make anyone that may qualify as your outer obnoxiousness do any differently. You can say, Father, and by the way, Did you know the common link between the two passages? Listen, in Philippians and in Colossians, 
It's thankfulness. We studied that two weeks ago, three weeks ago. I'm not going back to it, but oh my goodness, I'm going, if we would spend less time being frustrated, more time being thankful and saying, Father, I praise you and I worship you in the spirit. I bless your name. Lord, I magnify your name. And I'm thankful, Father, that the peace of God ruling in me is soon going to crush those things. And even though I would like to go ahead and crush them myself, and I have a name I can put in there. I'm going to withhold from that. Come on, somebody know what I'm talking about? So here's the good news. <clears throat> here's the hope. Stand to your feet. Peace, peace. Wonderful peace It's coming down From the Father Above Sweep over Their spirits Forever I pray In Father, I pray today for your people. Lord, I pray. Holy Spirit, I pray again what I prayed right by myself this morning and said, Lord, may the peace of God, God of peace, rule in the hearts of your people today. Everyone here watching online, for the circumstances around us, we can't control the conflict, the chaos, or the adversity coming at us, around us. But God, may that we can declare the God of peace rules in my heart, and the peace of God he has promised will guard my mind. So go ahead and do whatever you want, because the peace of God from here is just going to crush the significance that the devil thinks he's trying to have on me. Father, I pray that the peace of God for your people here today would cause those around them to notice it and say, Oh my goodness, what's wrong with you? You must be in denial. No. I'm simply bowing before the Prince of Peace, born in a manger, lived a life, died on a cross, was resurrected, and is now the guardian of my soul. And I trust him more than I trust you or anything around me. I love you and praise you and bless you. And now, for your people, may you bless them and keep them and cause your face to shine on them. Be gracious unto them. Lift your countenance upon them and give them peace. Father, we're the blessed of the Lord. Blessed coming out and blessed going in. We're the people in whom the ruler of peace abides and dwells. And you will soon crush the reality and the effect of that around us. I love you and I praise you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give the Lord praise here right now? Okay, now. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.